0: This absolutely is one of my favorite days of the year because I love the Thanksgiving stuff that we do. 200 complete meals, that means complete frozen turkey, all the fixes to go with it. We take them into inner city Hamilton and uh, and we're able to distribute those to families in need. Now we might be about five baskets short of our 200. So if you all have not donated a meal, Make sure and tell Jennifer Pertuna, she's out there. She's at one of the tables out there on your way out. Hey, I can bring another basket. I'll go under the store and get it right now. Bring it back. If you can do that, we'd love to have those. And it gives you an opportunity to participate in that as well. So today is not only one of my favorite days because it's the Thanksgiving uh, outreach. Um, I'm going to say this online campus. Can you see? There we go. Um, this is one of my dog's grooming bandanas because I can't find any of my steeler stuff. It's packed away somewhere and I couldn't locate it. So I brought, brought keep it there. Ouch. Well it's okay. Oh, you all are a tough crowd. I'm just gonna you, go Steelers. Okay, anyway, let's jump in because we've been we, we've been doing this, this series on the book of Revelation for the past several weeks, and our goal with this series was to teach what's in the book while making it not as scary as we like to make it out to be. In other words, taking the things that are written, and instead of just going, oh, 666, the beast, the Antichrist, the, we're, we're doomed. Instead of going that type of an attitude, it's breaking down the symbols and breaking down the numbers and breaking down the words and visions that are said and allowing you to understand what they mean because they're not scary. Now, parts of it are scary. There's a lot of trouble and tribulation and, and pain that's going to happen. That's part of life in general, it's also part of the book of Revelation. But the bigger message there is that we win. We win. Life is good for us. Even if it's difficult, we've got a Savior all the way through this book of Revelation that says, I'm there for you. I'm there with you. I will always be with you. Follow me. Don't be afraid. That's what it is. 666 isn't scary. Put it in perspective, it's less than 777, which is God's number. Not as powerful as God. Not as, as, you know, kind of, I'm going to be destroyed by this six six six. No, because 777's better. It's bigger, it's more powerful, and he has control. So don't miss that part when it comes to Revelation. All right, now again, we've talked a lot about the different numbers and symbols and signs, and today we get to wrap up the book of Revelation, the very end of the book of Revelation. And we're going to read a lot of Scripture here at the beginning, two really long passages, but I don't want you to miss what's in these two. All right, you got to pick up what's being said. So if you have your Bibles, version apps, whatever you have, open them to Revelation 21. Now, obviously, you can follow along on the screen, and that's okay. I really want you to be able to open to something, to turn to something, to have that that practical application in your life to go, oh, it's here, and be able to read and scroll with us. Revelation 21.1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life." Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, "'Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb.'" And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It, shows with the, it shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, with 12 angels at the gates, and on the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, 3 on the west, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. And he measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and in wide and high as it is long. And the angel measured the wall using human measurements, and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made from a single pearl, and the great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood a tree of life bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever and ever. Amen. That's an incredible picture of what heaven in the future is going to be like. I ran across this book called Famous Last Words And there were some pretty interesting things in this book, right? Tim Russert, a famous news anchor, his last words were, what's happening to me? Now, you don't want to be in that situation, right? You don't want that to be your last saying, what's happening, because maybe you're not prepared at that point. Thomas Thomas Edison said, it's so beautiful. And then he closed his eyes and died. General Sedgwick from the South said, they couldn't hit an elephant from that distance. And then he was shot and killed. He died right there. I guess they could hit more than an elephant from that distance. Most rednecks have the same famous last words Here, hold my beer. That's what they say. And then their lives are typically over. That's how it works, right? Any of you married? You've been in an argument with your spouse? Anybody? Every hand in this place should go up if you're married, all right? Every single hand. Has your spouse ever said to you in the middle of an argument, go ahead, you can have the last word. It's okay? (laughs) Yeah, me neither. That just doesn't happen, right? Your your last words aren't going to be that. We just read, were the last words of the book of Revelation. That's what this is, the very last words of the book of the Revelation, and not only the book of Revelation, but the entire Bible. These are the last words in the Bible. And they're wrapped in all these marriage images. Did anybody else pick that up? This marriage that's taking place. It reminds me of a couple that recently got married and they got back from their honeymoon and the the bride called her mom and her mom said, well, how was your honeymoon? She said, it was great, mom, but but once we got home, he started talking so bad to me. She said, well, like what? He's saying all these four-letter words, mom, I can't take it, just come and get me. She said, Listen, one thing we've learned from 30 years of marriage is you can work through anything. It's okay. It'll all work out. You'll be fine. Tell me exactly what he's been saying to you. She said, Mom, you you just don't understand. He's saying words like cook and clean and and wash and, and vacuum. Her mom said, I'll be there in 20 minutes. Pack your bags. So that may not be the right way to go about marriage, but it does happen sometimes. Now, in this passage, we're not being rescued from a marriage, but we're being rescued by a marriage. It's the marriage of Jesus and the church that rescues us. Revelation 21.2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. When you think about this wedding day, What's actually getting ready to happen between Jesus and the church, I I don't want you to think of it as an American wedding, all right? How many, anybody here been to more than 10 weddings? Raise your hand, more than 10. Have any of those been very exciting for you? I, I mean, seriously, I've done hundreds of weddings, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of weddings. Now, unless I forget the bride's name and screw that up, which has happened once, a couple from our church, Mike and Angie Schoberg. I called her angel instead of Angie in the ceremony. She has not let me live that down, by the way. Unless that happens, most weddings are pretty mundane. They're pretty similar. You know, you got the bride walking down, you got the I do's, you got the exit, and everything else is kind of like, okay, you know, nothing exciting here. Don't think of an American wedding Think of a wedding like if you ever saw that, 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 that big Greek wedding, my big fat Greek wedding, where they're celebrating, they're partying, they're dancing, they're taking plates and shattering them on the floor going, Opa! And they're singing. And think of a wedding that's been prepared and there's something happening every night leading up to it with dinners and feasts and parties and, and, and music and going on after the wedding ceremony as well, just like that, going, this is a celebration. So you've got to change your mindset of what a wedding is. And here's about what we're about to see and and, and what we're about to hear. It all goes back to the beginning of the book of Genesis. Now, to understand the last book of the Bible, Revelation, you've got to understand the first, first book of the Bible, which is Genesis. Because what happens in Genesis is there's this curse that takes place. God created. Everything's beautiful. Everything's right. He created this Garden of Eden for Adam and Eve, the very first man and woman, and everything is perfect. I mean, it's perfect. God said, everything is yours except for one thing. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything else is yours. And so what happens? Well, Satan comes into the picture He starts twisting the truth around a little bit. He starts talking to Eve, going, God didn't say, or did he? Did he really say you can't eat of this tree? Why would God say that to you? There must be something great about it. I mean, there must be something so good. He doesn't want you to have as much knowledge as God has, and so he doesn't want you to eat it because he doesn't want you as smart as he is, as good as he is, and so Eve buys the lie. And then she takes a bite, and then what she do? She gets her husband, and no husband's going to turn down his wife. It's just the way it is. Hey, do this. I don't care if it's right or wrong. Guys, you're probably going to do it because you'd rather do it than have the fight about not doing it, right? And so Adam jumps in, and then God says, why? I gave you everything. And because I gave you everything and you chose to break that, all right, because you chose that, now there's a curse, and you look at that curse and you're going, what does that mean for us? Well, everything changes at that point. Everything changes. What was good is now longer not good. What was great is, no longer, is now changed. It's no longer great. It's broken. There's decay that happens. There's sin that jumps into the picture. And four times in Revelation 21, God is going to use this word to break that curse. And the word is new. And it describes the wedding that's getting ready to take place. Revelation 21.5, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. In other words, what you broke, what you destroyed, no longer broken. I'm making it brand new. Now, the word for new that's used here is kanos, and it's not the typical Greek word that's used here. Typically, it would be the word naos. And naos would be like taking an old car and restoring it. Several years ago, I had a Jeep Wrangler that I bought with 250,000 miles or so. Uh, The engine was shot, so we pulled the engine, put a new engine in. We pulled the tires, put new tires, put new uh, suspension in, put new brakes on, did did the whole thing, made it like it was new again, but it wasn't new, it was just refurbished. So the word that's being used here is something that is completely brand new, not something that's refurbished. So when you become a Christ follower, you're new. Nothing of the old is there. It's brand spanking new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creator, cre- creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Paul's describing us, you and me, as brand new. Nothing from your past matters at that point because you're new. In Genesis 1 2, God chose to live with his people. He chose to live with Adam and Eve in the garden, and then sin comes in, and God kicks them out of the garden of Eden, and then God leaves the garden of Eden. And the next time we see God and his people is in the middle of the desert. And he says, I love you, and I want to be part of you. I want to be with you. And so God says, I'm going to put up a tent in the middle of you. And I'm going to live in the Holy of Holies, the back part of this tabernacle, so I can always be with you, because that's important for me. Leviticus 26, I will put my dwelling place among you, and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. But that wasn't enough. And so God took another step in John 1.14. The Word, Jesus, became flesh and made His dwelling among us. So Jesus took on human form. So not only was God with Adam and Eve, and then God came and lived with His people, and then Jesus came for, for, for all of us, but it still wasn't enough, Revelation 21.3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. When Jesus rose from the dead, what happens? The Holy Spirit is now there to be with us inside of our lives every single day. You will never be separated from God once you invite Jesus to be part of your life. Every day, every single day, God is with you. You've ever, have you ever read the Lord's Prayer? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Like You know, you know that one? Well, when you read the, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that means that the message and the mission of the church is every day. God's with us every day, and so we're supposed to bring earth to heaven and heaven to earth. That's our goal. That, that's why we are here. That's why we exist. We have to bring the future of heaven into this present time because our current culture has no idea what that means. Our current culture has no idea who God is, what God wants, how much God loves us, and we're supposed to bring heaven to this earth. It's not about a future heaven, although that's important, and we're going to talk about that. It's about the everyday heaven that's happening all around us all the time, and we're supposed to bring heaven to earth and earth to heaven. That's our goal. N.T. Wright and Simply Christian says this, the point of Christianity isn't to go to heaven when you die. It's certainly not about keeping the commandments of a distant deity. Rather, it's the new way of being human, the Jesus-shaped way of being human, the cross and resurrection way of life, the spirit-led pathway. It's the way which anticipates in the present the full, rich, glad human existence which which will one day be ours when God makes all things new. Christian ethics is not a matter of discovering what's going on in the world and getting in tune with it. It isn't a matter of doing things to earn God's favor. It is not about trying to obey dusty rule books from long ago or far away. It's about practicing in the present the tunes that we shall sing in God's new world. It's about living out the Christian life every day, bringing heaven to this earth. That's why when John describes heaven in the book of Revelation, he doesn't just describe it as a place. It's not just the stuff that's there. He describes it as a people, which is really, really important. In chapter 21, um, John doesn't, like, get completely wrapped up in the details, although there are a lot of details there. But what he does is he uses the number 12 to describe what heaven will be like for us. The number 12 represents what? God's people. It always stands for God's people. All through the Bible, and especially here in Revelation, John says there will be 12 gates, 12 foundations, 12,000 stadia by 12,000 stadia, a perfect square. And he wants us to see that everywhere that you look in heaven, you should see God's people. Because God's people are the most important part. Have you ever thought about heaven, the future of heaven, what it'll be like, how that will look? Usually around funerals, we start thinking about that. Or whenever something happens to us, we start thinking maybe a little bit about heaven. Let me ask you this. What about being joyful in heaven? Will you be joyful in heaven? Are you joyful now? Are you? It's a good question. It's a valid question. Are you joyful now? What would the future be like? Will you be joyful in heaven? Maybe the better question is, is what keeps joy out of your life right here? Because I don't see a whole lot of joy-filled people around me. Especially not around the happiest time of the year. There's not a whole lot of happiness happening. You know, there's not a whole lot of joy taking place. Why? Because we have a lot of hurt in our lives. There are a lot of things that have happened to us that keep us from being filled with joy. We have a lot of pain in our lives. Maybe some of us are facing diseases that just keep us hurt and struggling. Maybe some of us are facing situations that keep us hurt and struggling. There's not a whole lot of joy. Romans 8.18 says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That's Paul. Paul was, he probably suffered more than any other Christian on this earth. This is a guy who was shipwrecked, he was beaten, he was flogged, he was stoned. That's throwing rocks at you to kill you, by the way. Let's clarify that, right? Right? <laughs> a lot of suffering, a lot of struggles, a lot of heartache, and he was dealing with all that stuff. And he said, if you're dealing with struggles and heartache and suffering and just destruction in your life, be faithful. Because if you're faithful, God will bring the joy into your life. That's your future. That's what God wants. He wants you to bring heaven to this earth, and to bring heaven to earth, you have to find the joy that comes from God. That's true for now and that's true for your future. You just do. Take your deepest hurt. Think about your greatest loss. Take that thing that is the deepest, most broken part of who you are. Hold on to those things for just a minute. Because those are the things that keep us from being joyful. They just are. You know what God promises to us? He says, I promise to wipe away every tear from your eyes. He says, I promise that there'll be no more sorrow or mourning or pain. Now that's a future promise for us of heaven, but it's also a present promise to us. If you choose to bring heaven to earth and live heaven out every single day, your pains, your hurts, your sorrows will go away. I promise you that because that's what happens when you live that on a daily basis. And God promises that. Now, trusting that is is pretty difficult though, isn't it? Trust is huge for me. As a person with my personality style, if, if you give me a reason not to trust you, I'm probably just going to stay away from you because if you've done something that shows you can't be trusted, I typically will be nice to you, but I don't want you as part of my life. And I know that's harsh. And coming from a pastor, maybe that's not what you want to hear, but that's how I operate on things. I look at, at what we do and how we do things going, okay, you can lie and be distrustful to someone else, and that's part of life. Don't do that to me because then I'm probably not gonna, gonna associate with you. But when you look at, at at this whole trust kind of thing, you gotta go, there are a lot of people that are not trustworthy. You know any groups of people that aren't trustworthy? I promise no new taxes. I know several politicians, I like them but I don't trust them. And a couple of them I consider friends. (laughs) I don't trust them. Why? Because to be in politics means that you have to do whatever it takes to get elected again, and what you say is part of the lie that you tell to get elected again. And I don't care what side of the line you are, because politics mean nothing to me. Whatever side of the line you are, understand your person is going to be a liar. They're not going to be trustworthy. That's how it works in that business of politics. Understand that. Who else is untrustworthy? Who else can't you believe? Open up. I promise you won't feel a thing. Just a little pinch. Nope, 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 no no thank you. You know, Mr. Dentist, thank you for taking care of my teeth. Do not give me a shot because I will not believe you that I'm not going to feel a thing because I always feel something when that happens. As a kid, when I was growing up, if I had a cavity, I'd tell the dentist, no, Novocaine. You drill, you do whatever you have to do. I'm not taking the shot. Are you sure? Yeah, I don't believe you that it's not going to hurt. It'll hurt me less. Just go ahead and drill. You know, those things are, are, are big. You know, I promise we'll win the Super Bowl this year. I'm not saying that your team won't win the Super Bowl. I'm just saying chances are if somebody promises you that, they're probably going to break their promise. I mean, that's just, just the way life is, right? And so you can't believe what everyone tells you. But you can always, always, always trust God because God is a promise keeper. God always provides and pulls through with what he says, and there's freedom in that, and there's joy In that, a young man by the name of Jason was engaged to a beautiful woman, and Jason was born legally blind. And it wasn't a problem for his fiancée. They had planned to get married. And Jason decided to do this kind of experimental treatment on his eyes to maybe give him his vision back. He said, the only thing that I'm requesting of his doctors was that you don't take these bandages off until my wedding day. They said, okay, we can do that. And so it's the wedding day, the ceremony's happening, and as the bride comes into the back of the church, the doctors remove the bandages. And the surgery was successful. And as she walked closer down the aisle, he could get a picture of who she was, what she looked like. And they said that he went up and grabbed her face, and he said this, you are more beautiful than I could have ever imagined. Now think about that just for a minute. I I mean, that's his bride. And he's standing before his family and his friends and his now soon-to-be wife. Friends, there's a day coming when we will see the Savior for who he is. Now, what's that mean? That means all your misconceptions about Jesus are blown away. Who you think you know, what you think you know about Jesus, you don't. But when your vision gets clear you'll have a better understanding because he loves you, and he loves you in spite of your past, and he loves you in spite of your sins, and he loves you in spite of what you may think you look like on the inside or outside. None of that matters because that joy of Jesus loving you is bigger than any of your hurts that you're dealing with. And in heaven, it's just the beginning. Do you think you'll be productive in heaven? I mean, do you think that's something in the future heaven? Maybe, maybe it's just me, but most people I talk to think of heaven kind of like moving to Florida to a retirement community. You know, I, I get it. There's six feet of snow coming to Buffalo today. I got that, right? And Florida might sound pretty good, you know, in, in the middle of that. But you're thinking, hey, I'm going to move to Florida. I'll get up late. I'll eat a late lunch, play some shuffleboard, eat a snack, play some bingo, and go to bed early. Maybe that's what you're thinking as a retirement-type thing right now. I, I don't know. Maybe that's heaven. Maybe that's not. Depends on who you are, right? These two older guys are sitting at a Bob Evans talking, and they talked about politics, a little family. They talked football. They, they, they talked about who was going to win today's game. They talked about opening day for the Reds. And one guy said, you think there'll be baseball in heaven? And they both left, and one of the guys died that same day after he left the restaurant. Two days later, he shows back up to talk to his friend, and his friend said, so is there baseball in heaven? And the guy said, well, the good news yeah, is yes, there's baseball in heaven. The bad news is you're pitching tomorrow. So, you know, sometimes, just think about that. You'll get it later. It's, it's okay. You, you think about what's happening. You think about what it's going to be like, but some people say heaven is just sitting on a cloud and singing. And i got to be honest, after so many bad worship experiences, not here, obviously, but so many bad worship experiences that I've had, that might be more like going to hell than heaven. I'm just saying, that might not be good. But you think about that, you go, what what does it mean to be in heaven? I, I think we look at this vision of heaven. In Matthew 25, the master comes to some workers and says, I've got a job for you. All right. I'm going to leave for a while, but when, I'm, when I come back, I'm going to come back and check on you. And at the end of the parable, Jesus looks at one of the workers and says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. In John 1, it says that we are created in the image of God. We're created to rule over all creation with God for eternity. But when Adam and Eve sinned, everything in the universe began to fall apart. Everything. And since that moment, the universe has been, been, been decaying and destruction happens, right? But when Jesus comes back, it won't be that way anymore. Now, there's heaven right now. That we're supposed to be living in, bringing heaven to earth and earth to heaven. There's a heaven right now for all of us, and we need to be productive in that. We need to be working for the kingdom in that. We need to be loving people and serving people and giving to people because that's who Jesus is, and that's who we need to be bringing heaven to earth. But at some point in time, it will change when Jesus returns. Everything in, in creation will be changed. Go Scott, that's a little bit weird. I don't know what does it look like in heaven is it really weird that we're bringing heaven to earth and earth to heaven is it really weird that when jesus returns everything will change what 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 do you think is there going to be creativity in heaven yeah absolutely there's going to be creativity in heaven It, it, it means that it means that all of the abilities if you're creative in any way will be off the charts That's how it'll be, because God's making everything new. They'll be off the charts. Think think about, I don't know, the the most pampered you've ever been. It'll be off the charts better than that. Think think about, I I don't know, something maybe you're good at. How how about eating? Anybody else good at eating? I'm an expert in that, by the way. And, And so you think about eating, and I'm going, man, my taste buds will be better than they've ever been here. I'll be able to taste things that I've never tasted before. You know, you're going you're gonna to walk around heaven going, you got to try this one because it's that good. Have you seen the commercial where everything is cheesecake? The plates, the cups, the knives, the spoons, they're all cheesecake. That's, that's like heaven for me, right? I mean, everything is, is going to be like that. It's just good. You're not going to worry about spreading germs and you're not going to worry about your cholesterol levels and you're not going to worry about how many carbs are in something because it's just that much better. A few years ago, in one of our small groups, somebody brought in what they called strawberry crap. Now, from the title, it's not something you want to try, right? Unless it's one of those dare kind of things. It was some of the best food I ever had in my life. So don't worry about titles. There are going to be things like that, that you're going in heaven. I never knew this could taste that good. Whatever it is for you, in heaven, you're going to have Access to the best foods, the best movies, the best singing, the best concerts that will ever be there. That means that when you look at heaven, you're going to be joyful, you're going to be productive, and you're going to be happy. That's future heaven. What about heaven right now that you're bringing to this earth? I promise you, if you do what God asks you to do, if you love and serve and give and help, I promise you, your life on this earth will be so much more joyful than if you don't. If you're just sitting around waiting to die to go to heaven someday, you're missing the point about why you exist in the first place. It's about bringing heaven to earth. It's about living out what God wants for you. It's about showing the people around you how good God is. Let me say this. The turkeys that you guys have done That's part of bringing heaven to earth. It's serving people that may not have food for Thanksgiving. That's part of it. It's hard to be angry and bitter and upset when you take a couple of turkey baskets to people that are living in poverty because then you see how bad things can be for some people and how challenged they are, and you can say, I love you enough because Jesus loved me. Let me serve you. That changes you. It changes who we are. That Christmas tree that's out in the lobby, guess what? That's full of presents for kids from North Elementary and East Elementary that are underprivileged. doesn't matter what their parents do or don't do. It doesn't matter how right or wrong what their parents do or don't do. What matters is those kids feeling like they have somebody that cares about them, and there's something there for them to provide some hope for their future. And you get a chance of bringing heaven to earth by doing that. That's huge. Don't miss that. Everything you do in the name of Jesus is bringing heaven to earth. Every person you love and reach out to in the name of Jesus is bringing heaven to earth. And do you think the future heaven's going to be different than that? Absolutely not. Because God loves you enough to provide that for you. But don't miss the fact. We're responsible for the people around us. We're responsible for them. I'm going to close with Revelation 22. It says this, Look, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to be the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. The Spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. God loves you enough to want to be with you. No matter who you are, no matter what your past is, wherever your past is, leave it behind and look to the future. Whatever the pains that you're dealing with are, leave them behind and look to the future. Whatever issues you have, deal with them, but move forward looking to the future. Bring heaven to earth, and then we can take earth, our friends, our families, to heaven in the future with us. Will you pray with me? Father God, I pray for everyone in this room and everyone watching online. God, may you provide hope to them. May they overcome their past with your love and your grace and your mercy. And God, may they share that in the way they live and the things that they do to everyone around them. And it's in Jesus' name, amen.